0: Section 8 of The Desirable Alien at Home in Germany by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7. Princes and Prescriptions. The Kür, that great German institution in which Englishmen and Englishwomen are glad to participate, would appear to be specially designed for the traditional German. The traditional German eats a great deal, drinks a great deal and takes no exercise at all. Real Germans, a good many of them that I have known, eat very sparingly of food cooked à la mode de pays de France and walk 20 miles a day. There are always, however, the obese and unregenerate of both nations and these are pretty well represented at the dear smart little towns towns without personality or civic character of any kind which lie scattered all over germany that is the horrid part of it if you are well enough to do what is called poke about homburg or ems or nauheim or you are all the while disagreeably conscious of the purely parasitical nature of the dull louts male and female who look sheepishly out of cottage doors or slouch about with pails and spill things into the gutter. These good people, you realise, are tamely going about their business of living under the heel of the alien crowd of visitors by whom they exist. I suppose Vie des eaux and Spa's have a mayor and corporation, but in the case of these sort of towns, one feels they are only there for the convenience of visitors, and to adjust any matters of business that may arise, say a serious undertaking as the cure of illustrious and marked persons, I happened to be at Nauheim during the stay of the Czar at Friedberg, a romantic visit undertaken for the cure of the Hessian princess who was the spouse of the shadowed despot of all the rushes. It was supposed by her physicians that the ruined nerves of the royal lady might benefit by a stay at one of the bards of her native country. So the marked pair abandoned their policed palace and their royal safety yacht, and came to Hessen, and motored in from the castle of Friedberg, three miles distant from Narheim, every day. Detectives swarmed every yard of the way. Friedberg was full of them, And indeed, before His Majesty the Tsar could even be allowed to take up his abode in that place, or visit Nauheim, the place of his wife's cure, the Mayor and Corporation of Friedberg had insisted on the royal guest insuring, out of his own pocket, all the principal buildings. Bombs will occur even in the best police-regulated establishments. And when the unfortunate royal guest, having complied with all these behests of a careful, tactless burgomastery, came over to Nauheim with his children, and essayed to walk quietly about in the streets of the town he was himself, pecuniarily at least, protecting against the possible consequences of a too ready hospitality. He was mobbed, and followed and persecuted. He complained bitterly, so we heard, and presently an urgent but polite, Notice did appear in the corridor of all hotels, asking the guests to be so good as not to mob the Tsar. I fear very few of them attended to the prohibition. La chasse au Tsar continued. And attract the poor man into a shop, and making what is called a feint of an ugly rush, lead him to believe that he was in a guerre was recognized as a lawful amusement by certain dull, enervated people who form the staple of the patrons at Nauheim. Anyone who, as I did, expected to see an enormous proportion of traditional Germans in these sort of places will be disappointed. It was rather the other way. At any rate, at Nauheim or Schwalbach. For one fat German I saw two lanky Englishmen, with wives to match. English dyspepsia seems to attenuate, not increase the girth. I saw the ethereal heroines of English cause célèbre walking about reading good books. I saw croupy young Englishmen doddering along the pleached alleys with glasses in their hands, the murky contents of which were connected with their mouths by a tube, and little napkins to wipe out said glasses tucked into their sleeves. English self-indulgence would appear to take the form of malnutrition, and weak hearts to be the result not of intemperance in diet, but some mad riot of nerves. However, there they all were, parading, promenading, taking short red walks or long blue walks, according to their physical capacities for relating and that of the friend who accompanied them for listening to detailed and never-ending recitals of their symptoms a cour is the only place where it is literally manners to talk of your stomach with brief intervals for the reconnoitring of the paint marks on the green trunks so considerately put there by the kaiser's order each part of a system for pointing the way for the walk of a given duration the conversation in a court promenade is all pathological, deeply egotistical, and boring to the hero who is not in a position to offer up one of his own defaulting nerves for dissection on the platter of friendship. There is indeed only one way of enjoying one's self at a cour. Every prospect pleases and so on, but one must be allowed to forget the reason why man is admitted into this paradise once and once only i paid the toll to caesar took a bath and took a drink the drink upsets you for days the bath is neither here nor there it was at schwalbach i was immersed i felt as if i were champagne with beaded bubbles winking at the brim this agreeable sensation lasted ten minutes then plötzlich an impartial machine of a stout bathing woman came noiselessly into the Badsimma, unceremoniously brushed the moose off me with a large bathing towel, and I became myself again, with only such bubbles of the spirit as nature has endowed me with. Though people at cure unmistakably enjoy talking about their symptoms, one notices that perhaps the most fanciful and discursively descriptive among them while anxious to retain the sympathy of their fellow-sufferers are chiefly intent on evading the more tiresome minutiae of the cure on having a good time in short and the cunning german physicians are no doubt fully aware of that and depend on the good air of the place and the fascinations of the Landrat. He is always a good-looking, fine, set-up man, it appears to me. Far more than on prescriptive rules, which are meant for really ill people. These form the dark grey background of the crowd of merrymakers. These are the people who do actually die, and whose remains are hustled away in the night or early morning to avoid unpleasantness. And a German hearse is of the most sinister grim charges with black trappings that come down to the ground suggesting the armoured destrier of the days of feudal fighting through which the vast round eye of the horse gleams forth large portentous in its rim of sable strike a foolish terror to the beholder and remind him disagreeably of the fact that doctor's orders are not always made to be disregarded but seriously speaking a real cure undertaken in a business-like manner, with a pure liver and a contrite stomach, simply means putting one's neck into a collar of slavery. If you do not consistently regard your doctor as a meddling rival, neither your time nor your money is your own. Whereas if you keep up a proper degree of spirit in your dealings with him, you have the cheerful sensation, so conducive to health, of moral self-assertion a moral victory something done something accomplished and the really excellent air of nauheim or schwalbach or wherever you have elected to reside to the good the iron in which these regions abound enters then into your body not your soul and you benefit by the cure you flirt with the handsome Landrat, who as i have remarked is always good-looking enough to be worthwhile in these carefully catered for health places You win enormous sums at bridge, enough to pay all your home debts which are secretly worrying you, and you do really and truly benefit by the cure, in your own way, which is the best. On the other hand, if you virtuously lay yourself out to observe faithfully all the narrow-minded, pettifogging, unimaginative behests of your temporary lawgiver, who doesn't know you or your mentality from Adam, and who is in league with your landlord for early-closing and plain-living and high-paying. Your cure at once becomes a mere purgatory of small agitating engagements, far more innovating and exacerbating even than the London or Paris or Berlin season you have come away to recover from. Here is Dr Biddleman's sort of regulation. I may mention that Dr Biddleman of Nauheim is charming. And a thorough man of the world, and doesn't in the least hope or expect you to carry it out. You bath at ten, say, then lie down after it for an hour. Good, you do bathe. The expense of bath is something positive that you pay for, but good heavens, you don't have time to lie down. You can lie down for nothing, and at home. You eat by command at some earthly hour, one o'clock most probably, and you are to eat the very things you don't like. You are to have your salad mixed with lemon juice instead of oil and vinegar, and you are to drink Fachingen. But how can you talk or be amusing on Fachingen? How can you digest what you don't like? Well, you settle it. You do eat later. It was so difficult to get away from that fascinating seance at, what do you call him, Zucker Becker muller and the little cakes spoilt your appetite. You eat the things you like at lunch, that is to say the things you can eat, and you don't lie down again after as desired, because lying down always makes your head ache so. And for all these extra arrangements, there simply isn't time. That is the trouble. Not want of bon volonté on your part. If you followed out all the absurd directions you were given, and that your physician feels in duty bound to order you, you might as well have stayed away altogether, for you would be useless for all the social purposes that really brought you to Nauheim or Schwalbach or Schlangenbad. And there is the truth of it. For, good heavens! There is here said nauheim a bathing establishment a spring and what not just to give the place its name but there is a great deal more the bathing establishment and the spring are only the bait the inducement something that corresponds to the little music you arrange for a party at home to make people talk the band at the garden party the lady who sings indian lullabies the child who recites so marvellously and whose name you are sure you forget it is the brilliant magic cour-house that you have come for, where all is silent and nearly deserted in the mornings, and waiters and other ministers of our joys hold themselves in reserve till midday, when all breaks into life and song. You may see performances, you may go to concerts, you may play bridge all the afternoon under the open sky or the tented veranda. The soft sunlight, permeates all your gaiety softening the glare of the red geraniums in the parterre and the blue caps of the bandsmen and the screaming toilettes of the professional beauties you can play lying in a bath-chair if you prefer it with a rug over your knees to get the spirit of the place the soft pleasing egoistic spirit of wealthy invalidism and the afternoon wears on to the sound of the chastened band The delicate crunch-on gravel of high-heeled shoes, and the trail of ethereal Paris-made garments. You eat succulent cakes and drink mixtures through straws brought to one by well-drilled waiters, who never tread on your toes or tear your flounces. You win, you lose. The sunlight soaks into you and you go home to change. What for? To don the most expensive form of dress known. The half high, the smart non décollete. Modistes know how incompatible the two are. Inferior craftswomen rely on the wearer's trimming the dress with their own charms, as it were. Thus, expensively, ruinously robed, you eat good dinners under the fierce electric light. And as the one concession to the spirit of the place, and it is the only concession some patients make, and then, it is only because they are constrained by the management, home to bed early. At the hotel, arriving quite early, a reproachful house porter lets you into a twilight hall. It feels like three in the morning in England. If you happen to be a little late, say after ten, there is even a vague atmosphere of reprobation about this functionary, erst gold-laced, but Mufti after ten i felt again as a girl feels when she comes home in the small hours to be let in by a sleepy reproachful maid whose duty it has been to sit up and welcome this piece of perishable goods that has been out in the great wild world the koor house of Narheim is on the slope of the hill a little above the town it is pretty and gay like most cour houses everywhere its clients are of course thoroughly cosmopolitan comprising complacent financiers, hungry adventurers, beauties on the make of every type and nationality, at least so I'm led to suppose. And I fancy that is the attraction of these foreign baths to the English nation. Thackeray skilfully cast around these clients of German thermal springs that vague aroma of deswagondage, that intimate flavour of impropriety of possible scabrous adventure, which appealed so deeply and intimately to the middle class for which he catered. Needless to say, Baden-Baden, or Nauheim, met tout ces bien dans la déventure. The shady people are the décor, the attraction provided for Mrs. Brown of Brixton, who was there with Mrs. Jones of Ealing, in force enough to make these places pay mrs brown of brixton thinks it is a holiday privilege to be allowed at rome to do as rome does to put down her gold piece at the same table as madame Mede, or countess calypso i borrow thackeray's effective nomenclature she expects as i did the first time i went to baden baden and homburg to see sinister-looking pernicious gentlemen engrossed in playing petit chevaux or baccarat thackeray had named them for me Count Punter, Marquis Iago, Captain Blackball. it was only after I had been about that I realized that the most sinister looking of them all were respectable English stockbrokers, husbands of the Mrs. Browns who boldly touched hems with the skirts of, it was fondly hoped, unmentionable ladies. Only in the holidays. The sight of weeping Dover cliffs on the return home purges away all the foreign devilry that Mrs Brown may have picked up on her travels. I know Mrs Brown now. Once I might have taken her for Madame de Couche casse or Madame de Schlangenbad ogling and scandal-mongering on her cane chair, and the wicked Lady Q that comes hobbling on her crutches round the corner is much more likely to be somebody's maiden aunt. Come away from her provincial lair for a Thorough change, and Mogador, la princesse de Mogador, je fume Mogador, here Thackeray was really funny, sat in every railway train. Well, she sits there now, Mogadores we have always with us. She trails past my modest chair even now with her cortege of grand dukes and favourite officers of the emperor, in which the place abounds. But just as all the champagne grown could not back up the marks on the bottles that stand on the restaurant tables, so would the Kaisers' favour, though this label is given impartially to every smart officer, these fine fellows have all hearts. The ugly material lopsided one within them, they have generally injured by excessive attention to and prowess at polo. That is the chic cause of their presence at Nauheim. The Kaiser does not care to lose them. The other more elusive article they swear by, and are fond of putting their hand to, is at the service of every pretty girl who comes to Nauheim without a heart at all. Poor wasp-wasted creatures. As fast as they cure the one organ, the other spiritual one suffers by reason of its extreme susceptibility. I was able to oblige one young officer with an unpronounceable name i may meet him again the kaiser loves him of course and he has some english he admired a young english lady who was staying not in my hotel but in the hotel of a friend of mine who just knew her by sight affected by lefthendel's persuasions i got my friend to scrape acquaintance with miss d and eventually asked her to tea in her room i brought so full of pleasurable anticipation and excitement that he could eat no cakes at tea but the affair came to nothing i discovered that the dream to the spiritual young favourite of the kaiser was more than the business he had now formerly made the acquaintance of his goddess and consequently he no longer found pleasure in decorously dogging her footsteps in the garden and under the tall trees of the alley, as she fared home. She had a pale, clear-cut face and a neat ankle, and wore high-heeled shoes with a big bow in the instep that looked as if it never could come untied. Grand Dukes, real Grand Dukes, are fairly plentiful, at Cures. You can be taken in, though. and some Americans I once met at Langen-Schwalbach, Felt this little form of humiliation very much. There was a stout, beefy gentleman with a toady in attendance who wrote on his card, Duc de Sirio, and stuck it on the green baize notice board in the hotel among the cards of the other visitors. I have never seen this remarkable custom anywhere else. But that gentleman's card case must have been soon exhausted, for some real gentlemen bearing good old English names staying at the hotel tore it down every day, declaring this was no duke but a grocer from Amsterdam, and his handyman who sliced up the hams. We all danced with the duke at the coursal. He danced beautifully. The American contingent had gone nap on him and refused to believe that he was an impostor. But the absurdly meek manner in which he, or his toady for him, conscientiously replaced his card every day instead of calling out one of the hooligan gentlemen who were endeavouring to destroy his prestige with the ladies, ended by convincing these fair ones that the claim so weakly supported could not be genuine. They abandoned him with painful self-loathing. I, for some mysterious reason, fancied he was what he said, there was a depth of assurance about him a sturdy stout devil may that was soothing to be truly soothing is a quality of the true aristocracy in germany at all events there was however an unmistakable publicly ratified grand duke at nauheim while i was there i believe he was related to the kaiser so popular was he that he only dined once at his own expense during the whole six weeks that his cure lasted and that once was when he as in duty bound returned all his hospitality in the lump for every pretty woman in the place felt it her pleasant duty to dine with him at least once and invite any lady he admired as well as herself he preferred americans and an occasional incursion into dutch territory probably because Americans are still capable of being frankly dazzled by the old order, which is by no means passing away in Germany. He was a dear, good, rubicund soul with no harm in him and exquisite manners, and looking at him through the glass window that divided the indoors restaurant from the little tables outside where one drinks one's coffee, one found some difficulty in realising that he was a king, he sat there towards the end of a good dinner, très édouard as someone said, and indeed the likeness to our own Edward the Seventh was striking, with Jungfrau van der Hulker on one side and Mrs. Douglas P. Friday on the other, both Solomon décolletées, both yielding, caressing, jolly and easy-going, as far as their own strong sense of propriety and the rules of the place permitted. One felt that, veiled by the social hypocrisies of the 20th century, the usual royal program of the 17th and 18th was being rehearsed. They had all dined too well. The ladies were all impressed to slavishness by the gracious favor of the potentate, and perfectly prepared for any due old-fashioned exercise of the royal prerogative. Yet they sat there and digested, and sipped liquors, and said nothing. They were all flushed, but with the effort of eating, they were all bored, and that was with the Grand Duke. But they were dining with a king, even if they did not realise it, as I did. These stout, healthy scions of old reigning families are spread all over Germany. Rulers of federated states allied to Prussia, not loving Prussia, defying prussia some of them but the submissive ones do really carefully and seriously rule over the small states that are theirs by inheritance they have their own courts of justice their own little armies degenerated in most cases into a mere bodyguard and in some others into a household of servants who could fight if need be One reads in English social annals of German serenities, German princes, German hochvolgebornen, all alluded to in a slightly contemptuous style, introduced by a man who had both what is called a down on Germany, and a sneaking fondness for her, Thackeray. Nothing but his love for the Protestant succession kept his tongue from covering the four Georges with an overwhelming load of journalese mud and Dapper George got off lightly with the clinging sobriquet, But on Grand Dukes and Serenities, his pen has always wagged rather indecorously. And English people seem to have adopted his characterization, and regard these politically earnest and serious people as mere social, symbolical furniture to liven a bazaar or gild a society column. And indeed their unobtrusive presence at the vide lends a colour to their desultory view of the importance of their functions they should be seen at home in the due exercise of them it is when you are in some obscure provincial town and pay your way in coins struck in their effigy and hear them in their princely doings the literary moral artistic opinions of their wives spoken of with respect that one realizes for the nonce and with regard to the particular piece of ground that you stand on the despised grand duke is your king and that there is no parliament to stand between you and him any impulsive decree he may choose to put forth at the dictates of his so respectable or capricious wife perhaps and motivated by some entirely personal feeling is law The wife of the Grand Duke of H has chosen to close down the state theatre in H because of the private life reported to her of some of the members of the famous company engaged to play in it. You see, the king's powers, though not extensive, are absolute. He is your Commissioner of Woods and Forests, your Board of Trade, your Chancellor of the Exchequer, your Head of Police, all in one. Your Overlord, in fact his place one of his places fills up the centre of the town he may live in it and lend it as a park when he is not there or when he is there and amiably disposed he may live somewhere else and loan it as a barrack he has plenty of houses outside the town lie his schlosses and pleasure seats where so many beds are always made up ready for himself and suite or any guests he may send and where he takes your mark for a sight of his old armour and family pictures and beds. His powers are apt, to your limited topographical intelligence, to cease quite abruptly. A thin line, as imperceptible as the solemn old mysterious equatorial division of our childhood, separates the particular sods of earth under his direction from those that own the sway of the next prince. Yes? A man in Hessen-Darmstadt may lead a horse to water, and twenty can make him drink in Hessen-Nassau. The rules of life and conduct are perfectly different, full of character, full of annoyance too sometimes. Mental friction is thereby daily produced. In Hessen-Nassau, say, you knock up against some teasing, trifling ordinance or by-law, you exclaim indignantly. But have always done that. And when you were in a fair way to be arrested, you recover yourself and realize that that was when you were, a quarter of an hour ago, in Hessen Darmstadt. And in the eyes of the instructed in such matters, local costume may even mark the change, and not too insidiously either. Sitting in the train, looking out idly on the weather-beaten human furniture of the fields, You can tell to a nicety in whose kingdom you are. The noble female creatures with their stately port, who cover the ground in Hessen, marking the furrows with their broad swinging strides, wear vast woollen petticoats, kept out, as we women would say, by bolsters at the hips of a strong stained-glass window colour, suggesting the pictures of Ford Maddox Brown, red, green, and blue, all of them at once. It is harmonious enough in the clear strong light that seems to shine nearly always in germany on their heads they wear little knobby caps in shape like an ensign's embroidered with seed pearls and broad black ribbon strings falling on either side of the face like one of andrea del sato's madonna's you are in hessen darmstadt farther on as you look out the petticoats are made of coarse stiff black calico shining coppery and iridescent in the sun the beggar maids clothes in kincafetua have just such a metallic sheen on their legs they wear thick white openwork stockings with coloured ribbon garters ostentatiously displayed and on their feet heavy shoes with buckles you may know that you are in hesse when you see as the train leaves the station a couple of these women looking like beetles burnished in the sun with their hayforks lightly poised on their shoulders walking in skirts that genet would think far too short to dance in down the asphalt road talking and gesticulating like fury under the hot exhausting glare they are fairly cool their skirts are of calico not woollen and they have no bolsters And after the train has stopped three weary times more, long, draggled, abject-looking skirts such as one sees anywhere in England are the fashion. Another district. And these represent the really free peoples of Germany. At least, though they are the property of a Grand Duke, who owes in his turn allegiance to Prussia, they have not taken Prussia's prizes for costume prussia cunningly encourages the survival of costume because it enhances in its wearers the feeling of their german nationality for many centuries indeed these hessian lands felt a great spiritual kinship for france and even today in many of the lonely farms of the older peasants you will find portraits of the great napoleon sometimes indeed this opposition to the immense and savage dominion of one state over all others assumes heroic proportions. It is a curious sensation to walk about in Hanover, stately and magnificent Hanover, and be told that a regent holds sway there and that the real potentate lives in exile in Munich." Written in 1910, J.L.F.M.H. He is in contravention of the Kaiserlicher Decree He refuses to swear allegiance to the emperor, and until he does so, he may not walk under his ancestral limes, or sleep in one of the hundred beds that are constantly kept made in his country-seat of Wilhelmsberg. He is old, he does not care. He is one of the truly romantic figures of the 20th century. But who should meet him in London society would probably regard him as a mere figurehead for bazaars and opening festivals. I should like to meet him, for I know better. End of section eight.